Well, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for freedom, for a place to meet. Lord, we ask your blessings on your word for the families that we know that are hurting, uh, just dealing with loss and just difficulty. Help us encourage them. Father, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are, uh, were not here last week, you know we're going through the Beatitudes and we were in those verses in chapter 7 where Jesus said, seek, ask, and knock, which is basically uh, praying. And uh, we took a little different path because there's so much involved in prayer. We're kind of looking at the philosophy of prayer as a whole, not just that few verses in that paragraph. And we didn't get finished last week, so this is part two. And if you have the notes from last week, they're not the same as the notes this week, okay? So if you're interested in that. Uh, but it is a little more complicated just because when you're talking about the sovereignty of God, and uh, sovereignty just means God's in control, that he knows what's going on. Uh, he knows what's going on uh, a million years ago. He knows what's going on now. And he knows what's going on a million years from now in the future. Uh, when we say the sovereignty of God, that's what that means, okay? So when I say that, that just means God knows everything. You know, uh, so nothing takes him by surprise. Uh, so when you start talking about praying and, okay, if God knows everything and if God's in control, and we looked a little bit at Moses last week and a couple other places where, okay, how is it that it says that God changed his mind when Moses was praying? If God is sovereign and he knows everything and nothing takes him by surprise, how does that work? Uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you it's a mystery. It's mysterious. There, there's a part of that that, without question, Jesus absolutely tells us to pray. You know, God expects us to pray. He expects us to plead. So how does that work? Does that mean if I don't pray, nothing's going to happen? Or if God already knows anyway, why am I praying to start with? So when you start thinking like that, there's that whole concept of, okay, how does this exactly work out? The, the short answer is, I don't know. Uh, you know, we, we look at things, we try to follow a, a pattern from Scripture that says, this is what God did, this is what David did, this is what Daniel did, this is how this works out, and we kind of have to use that as our guide because uh, it's just not plain as day. Uh, we know God's in control, but we're supposed to pray, all right? Uh, so that's what this is in a, in a nutshell, and we won't get finished today, as we never do, uh, but you can look at the notes. Uh, keep praying for Danielle. She's here. Uh, she's in the hospital a few days, uh, so keep praying for Danielle. She's better. Thank the Lord that she's out uh, and here even. So keep praying for her as well and, uh, and the little ones. So thank the Lord for that. But this is it. Theological reflections on how does this whole thing work? Praying, God's sovereignty, God knows, yet we're supposed to ask, what does that work? Number one, that God is sovereign. You know, I believe that. You know, there's all kind of crazy ideas out there now in theological circles across the board. Not just one theological group, not just Methodists or Baptists or Presbyterian, but across everywhere. And this is what they have come to believe now, that God doesn't know everything. It's called open theology, where they say, well, God's kind of waiting to decide what you do, Terry, and then he'll know what's going to happen in the rest of it. No. The Scripture says, absolutely. God knows what's going on. So, uh 
That's absolutely what the Scripture teaches us. Um, that's what it is. Ephesians, go back and read the whole chapter. What does it say? He works out all things according to His purpose for the praise of His glorious grace. You know, when you look at that, that whole chapter, and you look at Romans chapter 8, you have to do some serious gymnastics with the Scripture if you then read those things and say, well, God doesn't know. He does know. Absolutely. He's always known and will know. And that's the part with us. We just really can't grasp how God can be transcendent, that he's out there, not in the universe as we're in the universe, but yet he's personally involved in our lives. And that is important when you're looking at prayer and how he is in both of those and how that works. All right? God's sovereignty and our responsibility. <laughs> Boy, this is a whole world of stuff we could spend all kind of time on. What does that mean? There's, there's, there's a, two different camps, basically. One that says, oh, yeah, God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. You don't have any choices. Okay? The other one is, I'm responsible. God really doesn't have anything to do with me. You know, I'm, you know, you got extreme Calvinism or extreme Arminianism on one side where we're totally free and we don't, you know, no. Is God sovereign? Yes. Are we responsible? Absolutely. The Scripture teaches both and. And you put those together and then you start to understand, okay, how exactly does this work if I'm going to pray and be serious about that? Is He sovereign? Yes. His sovereignty never functioned in Scripture to reduce human responsibility. Well, if God knows anything, everything already, why do I need to pray? If God knows this and this and this, then it just takes away my responsibility. Now, I know some people, that's how they try to act. You know, I know some, bless their heart, the devil has them. You know, because they believe. This is an extreme now. They believe that God from before the beginning of time, he just went around the world and he said, you go into hell, you go into heaven, you go into hell, you go into heaven. And that's what they believe. So they say, there's nothing we can do about it. There's, we can't respond, and we can't do anything. And then I ask them, because some of them are my good friends, I say, why you go to church then? If God's already determined you can't do anything, just go live like hell. If you want to, it won't really matter. Oh, no, See, so they don't live consistently with what they say they believe? You know, we are responsible, even though God is sovereign. His sovereignty never, distinct, never separates you from responsibility, because he's going to hold you responsible. You know, Genesis is that perfect example. There's one with Pontius Pilate. You know, in Genesis, you remember what Joseph said? You remember the situation? He's down there in Egypt. His brothers wanted to kill him, and then one, Reuben wanted to save him, and they sent him in the well, and they pulled him out. They sold him to the Egyptian caravan. He goes down to Egypt. He's down there for how many years before he becomes the vice president? And his brothers finally come back, and they're standing in front of him, and they think now because his father has died that he's going to retaliate and kill them or hurt them because of the way they treated him. Chapter 50, he goes on in verse 12, and he says, Oh, no, no, you meant it for evil, human responsibility. You meant it for evil, human responsibility. But God meant it for good, his sovereignty. You can't separate them. A lot of people try. So some people just thought, well, if God's in control, I'm not going to pray anyway. No, that's not right. So you see, when you start thinking about this, it's a little bit more serious than, well, I'm going to pray. Do you understand anything about that? A lot of times we don't. And then we pray the wrong way because we never stop to think about what God's will is perfectly that we should be praying about because we should be praying about God's will in our life if we're serious. All right? 
we have to hurry, all right? How y'all doing? Human beings are responsible creatures. We make choices every day, don't we? We do. The Scripture is full. This one will obey. This one will not. This one does this. This one. Does. Adam and Eve, perfect example. These people that tell us, oh, well, you know, it's all predetermined for it. You don't have a choice. You mean to tell me God made Adam and Eve sin? No. He said, Adam, Eve, if you do this, mean what? You have a choice. It's going to cost you, though. Boy, you made the wrong choice. And, you know, sin always has consequences. Somehow we just get up in our own thing, and we just sin and sin and sin. And then when something bad happens, well, God, why would you let this happen to me? My goodness, look at the choices you made. It's your own fault. You know, that's it. We are responsible. God is sovereign. We're responsible. That's part of it. We choose. We believe. We disobey. We respond. There's always significant responses to our choices. Always. The same thing with praying. Human responsibility never functions in Scripture to diminish that God is still sovereign. Well, I don't understand that. If God's sovereign, then why do I need to pray? Because he said to. If God is sovereign, he knows how is everything going to work out. This is part of that we don't understand, how God has somehow allowed us some little place in his whole purpose under his sovereignty that when we pray, he works things according to his own purpose. Now, you're not going to pray anything out of God's purpose and it's going to happen, okay? I don't care what, how you are because in the end of it, it says, and God gives the good things. God never answers bad prayers. You know that, right? You know, a lot of times we ask all kind of crazy things, and we say, well, God did this. No, your foolishness did that. You know, God, God is not responsible for that, and that's it. God's in control. Let's keep going, all right? Joshua. The world's falling apart around them. The Israelites are doing crazy things, and Joshua said, hey, today's the day. You're going to make a choice. Me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. What are you going to do? Choice. It's always been there. God gave him a choice. Been giving us choices all this time. God is sovereign, but we still have choices in everything. Me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. The commanding in the initiation of the gospel itself assumes responsibility. We're responsible. God expects us to be responsible even though he's still sovereign and he's in control. And that's part of that prayer sometimes that we just we forget to think about it and say, and it will affect how we pray that we would take the time to understand what God's will is so that we can pray according to God's will. There's some things you don't really have to pray about. Well, I want to know what God's will is. Is it God's will that you don't steal? Yes, it is. Is it God's will that you are not unfaithful? Yes, it is. Is it God's will that you don't cheat? Yes, it is. You don't have to worry about those. You just, you just pray and say, God, help me to do this. I know what your will is here. Well, I wonder if it's... No, you don't have to worry about some of that stuff. And that's exactly what we find. Daniel, he's praying. I'm going to have to give you the short version of all this, all right? And Daniel, we went through Daniel's study in our men's group. You know, Daniel is praying that the exile will come to an end. How does he know it's going to come to an end? Because God has already told him through the prophet of Jeremiah... How many hundreds of years beforehand? It's only going to last 70 years. Daniel's praying, oh, I know you said this is going to happen. I'm praying to that end. Why? Because he already knows. He's praying what God has already said. This is the way this needs to be. So there are some things we know 
if we know anything about the Scripture, that we know how to pray. So when we pray out God's will, even Jesus himself said, remember when he's praying, he says, you know, the hour is now that your will would be done, meaning he's fixing to die. He's praying that. He's praying what he already knows. Because God is sovereign, Paul himself offers thanksgiving for God's intervening, his sovereign grace in the lives of his readers uh, in, in Ephesus. Go back and read the chapter. He says, you know, I'm praying, number one, that your knowledge in God would increase. The more we have an understanding and a knowledge in God, it should always affect our life, number one. I don't care who it is. When you talk a big game about knowing Jesus and your life's no different, you're lying. Okay? There's a lot of that goes on. You know, you see it all the time. People boast, we're doing this, this, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I know how you're treating your grandparents. Don't come telling me you're right with Jesus. If you're right with Jesus, you ought to be working on this part. You know, so that's how that works. That's the thing. Our lives, and that's what he's praying, that a full knowledge in those lives of those people that he's talking to, that that full knowledge he's praying do you think God wants us to know him better? Yes. You pray to that end. That's one of those things you know. That's his will. We know it. He's praying at intercession. Why? Because he knows that's what God wants. And, he's, and he, that's what he's doing. Daniel prayed for that, for the exile to end. He knows it's coming to an end because God's already saying, but that's what he's praying. That's exactly what he says. He prays that Christians may grow in their knowledge because has, God has declared that intention, that he wants us to grow. That he wants us to grow those things. That's the way it comes out. Now, here's the kicker. It's mysterious. I don't know how it works. I really don't. I'm just be honest with you. I don't. How God is sovereign, yet he tells us to pray. There's a there's mysteriousness there. I don't really know how all that works. I just know he told us to do that. And we have the confidence in praying as we pray to his will, that his sovereign will will be done. You know, that's what it is, and it's a mystery. You know, there's some things that are mysterious, right? There's some things we still don't understand. How, you know, how, how these little things happen, you say, man, I, I just don't understand that. We, we have a lot of those, actually. Christianity is not interested in tempting you to believe contradictory nonsense, okay? Use your brain. There's some things that we don't understand. It's mysterious. We... We, 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 we do a lot of that, actually. If you're truly a believer, you don't really understand how God is God the Father, God is God the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. It's mysterious, but we hold to it. Same thing. There's some mysteries that you're just not going to figure out, and, and that's one of them. I don't, I, I don't know how God does that. We see examples in about 40 different cases in the Old Testament where it says God relented means he changed his mind, but you got to understand, it does not change the outcome of God's sovereignty. What do I mean by that? Did God know Moses was going to pray and intercede? You better believe he knew it. Did God know Paul was going to intercede for his own people? What did he say? I would be a castaway if all my people would be saved. God knows that Job when he makes that case with the devil on Job, he said, you can do whatever you want to. I know Job. So how is that mysterious thing where God's sovereignty, yet he has people in this whole plan that we can't figure out how he works through our praying and his full will is still done? I don't know. I don't know. And if somebody says they got it all figured out, they're lying. Because it's just not there. We just know it's a mystery. 
You know, how is it your children can grow up and be so far from you, you wonder, where did they come from? You know, it's amazing how far a nut can fall from a tree and then roll a long ways. Wait a minute. There ain't nobody in our family like you. Where did this come from? It's a mystery, right? It's connected in the genes or somewhere. It skips two or three generations and then it'll pop up. If you know anything about your older generations, you can see it. You know what I'm talking about? I remember someone in our family, my nephew. He don't listen to this, so he don't matter if he hears it or not. <laughs> you know, it's the truth. He comes up and somebody who is not kin to us had been around him a little while. And he said, oh, no, he's just like your uncle so-and-so. Boy, it proved out. Forty years later, he's just like him. And, and not in a positive way. Okay? Why is that? It's, it's down in there. It's down in us. That's why we have to try to grasp it because how is it that this thing works out? We have to pay attention in order to try to handle it in the right way. All right? Part of our problem is that virtually all that we understand is what we have experienced. When we start talking about God is outside of us, but yet He's here personally. Only thing we know is personal experience with other people. So when you start talking about God, because a lot of people don't believe that God is involved in our lives. They just say, oh, he's out there and he started it all and we're on our own. And that's just the way it goes. Because uh, we only know what we know by experience, it's hard for us to try to grasp that mystery because it is a mystery. Eh? Who understands that? How God can be outside of everything, created everything, under control, in control of everything, and yet still involved with us in our personal life. Because he is. That's a mystery. You know, it's part of it. We find it hard to imagine how he can be transcendent. And transcendent is just outside of us, you know, but yet still involved in our life. Uh, and, and that's, so when you start thinking about prayer, it affects how you pray because you understand even though God is so-called out there, he's involved in everything and in control of everything. So it should guide how we pray. We're prepared to accept some of these mysteries. God the Son, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of people say we're polyistic because we believe in three gods. No, we believe in one God and three persons. How you put that out there? You know, feeble attempts try to say, but it's just, we don't know. We just believe that's exactly what he said, and that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. And here's the question. What does all of this have to do with us praying? It has everything to do with it. Is God in control? If, he's, if his will is going to be done, why do I even need to pray to start with? If God's in control and he's pleading with me to pray, how does that work? See, it, it's there. It just We don't think about it very much. The Bible insists that God is sovereign, absolutely. And human beings are responsible. Even though God is in control, it doesn't give you the freedom to say, well, okay, sirrah, sirrah. Whatever's going to be is going to be. You know, that's what some of our uh, hyper-Calvinist friends, that's what they say. Oh, well, it's and I say, no, you're lying. You're lying. You don't live that way. Why are you going to church? If it's all up to God and you can't do anything, why are you going to church? Why are you even read your Bible? It doesn't even matter. Well, they're not being consistent. It doesn't mean that. We are responsible. We make choices. God expects us to make choices. He's going to hold us accountable. We expect that God himself is both transcendent and personal, and this involves a serious mystery. 
You just have to say, I'm going to accept that. Man, I can't figure that one out. You know, like like a, a very intelligent engineer friend back in North Carolina, you know, uh, they came to church with us, and he was not a believer, and he was always asking these questions that nobody has an answer to. Well, what about this? I say, listen, brother, you come to this point, you just make a decision. You're going to trust God or you're not. Nobody can explain that one to you. And basically, he said, well, until you can explain that, then I'm not going to believe. I said, then you're not going to believe because nobody can take you there. Well, before we left, he said, you're right. I'm just going to make a decision to trust him. That's what you have to do. That's what faith is about. You're not going to figure it all out. You just make a decision by faith. You're going to trust it. And that's exactly what it is. It's a mystery. How can we assure that these pairs, God's sovereignty and our responsibility, how can we make sure that these things work out on an even keel in our life? Okay. That we don't go to one extreme or the other. Because people do. Whole denominations do. Oh, God is sovereign. So we don't even pray. Bless their heart. Uh, what was the name of that college? It's an independent Baptist college in South Carolina. What's the name of it? Oh, Bob Jones. Yeah, I don't have anything against them. I think they're wrong. But other than that, you know, I don't have anything against them. You remember when Billy Graham came out? He's first preaching. They told him not to even pray for him because he wasn't God's chosen man for anything. Oh, yeah? Oh, God's sovereignty. You can't mess with God's sovereignty. Oh, no, no. So you got to work that out. Is God's sovereignty? Yes. Are we responsible to pray? Absolutely. Both and. How do we do that? What kind of guideline do we have that we don't get skewed and a tire run off and we go to one extreme or the other? Either we never pray or we think everything depends on us praying. You know, it's both and. We both, that's it. How does that work out? Now, we must do our best to ensure that this functions in our life, and the only way we have to guide it is to follow the patterns of people in the Scripture that did this, like Daniel. What is he doing? He's praying along the lines of what God has already revealed. You know, please understand, and you may think I'm wrong, and I don't care. God doesn't care what you have for lunch today, okay? Well, I need to pray. Does he want me to have Taco Bell or chicken or what? Come on now. He doesn't really care about that, all right? Some people say, well, I'm not, I need to pray to see if, if I need to go to this restaurant. We're not talking about something like that, all right? God wants you to eat and stay healthy. So whatever that you need to do along those lines, you know what that is, Okay? But some of this other stuff, well, I, I, what is God's will? God's will, most of the time, is revealed in Scripture the basic things we need to be thinking about. Does God want us to pray for people we know to be saved? Absolutely. Why? Because God spent a whole lot of time and trouble so that people could be saved. And, and some of the people that go to that far extreme, they said, oh, we're not even going that would be challenging God's sovereignty if, if I'm praying that somebody would be saved. Really? That's what the... God's will is that people be saved, right? God's will is that people's lives be changed. God's will is that I be changed. So you, you follow the scripture and say, what are the guidelines? Paul gives us plenty of them. David gives us how he prayed. You know, we see that, praying along in God's will. They're functioning in our lives as described in the scripture by people who've already been there. You know, that's how, that's how you know what it is. 
For example, how does that one work out? Election. That's that predestination stuff, you know, where there's some people who believe that, you know, before anybody was ever born, God just went down the line and said, you go to hell and you go to heaven and you go to hell and you go to heaven and you don't have any choice. That's the far extreme of election. Okay, do I believe in election? Yes, not like that. Do I believe that uh, God does elect stuff? It's in the scripture. But it never has to do with personal salvation. You know, they say, and they always go back to Jacob and Esau. I'm thinking, wait a minute, he's talking about a nation there. He's not talking about people. He's not talking about individual salvation. So, and, and that's like, so how does that work itself out? How should election function in our life? Do I believe in God's sovereignty so much that I never will pray? That's fatalism. That's, that's what it is. That's what Muslims are. They're, they're fatalists. Oh, if Allah wills it, isn't that what they say? But yet, you know, the, even they don't live by it because they know by the end of the day, if they calculate, if they want to go to heaven, they got to do 51% better than 49% bad because if they die today and they haven't, then they'll be condemned. So they have a work salvation, even though they always say, well, if Allah wills it, well, does Allah will that you do 51%? Well, yeah, then why aren't you doing it? See, they're not being consistent. Most of the time, we're not very consistent, are we? You kind of, we talk out of both sides of our mouth. <laughs> Because one of them works better in this situation, and another one works better in that situation. Well, that's another thing, all right? It never functioned in Scripture to foster fatalism. And fatalism means simply, you know, kesara, sara. Whatever God's going to do, He's going to do, and we, so we don't even need to pray. It, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't foster that at all, ever. And it doesn't hamper evangelism. You know, a lot of these same people say, oh, well, we don't go and share the gospel. Why? Because God is sovereign. We'd be impinging on God's sovereignty if we wouldn't share the gospel. That's not what it does. Some of the old-timers who were very, very strong Calvinists, they were strong evangelists. Why? Because they understood the Scripture said you need to share the gospel with people. You know, some of the people that I know, they don't have Sunday school. They don't want to do anything to help their kids. They won't let their kids go to anything else. They say, well, and they go to that Scripture where uh, back in Jeremiah where it says whenever God turns over a new leaf you know the new covenant when it comes all around everybody's going to know i'm thinking boy that's misread that's so far out of what the scripture means that ain't what he anyway so they don't do it so where are they going to get it from they're not they're going to die and go to hell because of fatalism don't do that think through it examine it study what the scripture says don't just buy into some nut on television that says every day's a friday because it's not every day's a friday Today's Sunday. Tomorrow's Monday. Tomorrow's going to be a tough day on a lot of you guys, right? This afternoon's going to be a tough day on a lot of us, you know, especially if you work outside. It's been hot, ain't it? Can you imagine? This is not even a fraction of what hell's going to be like. So if you, like, if you don't like the heat, just make sure you're ready. Because this, this is nothing. Repeatedly, it functions to emphasize the wonder of grace. When you start looking at election, you say, God, why did you save anybody? Why did you go back and get Adam and Eve? They're clearly turned away from you and, and were doing their own thing. So God went looking for them. He didn't have to. Whenever God arrested your attention, did he have to? You know, God has to arrest your attention. I believe that. Romans chapter 3 says that. It says there's none right. There's none that seeketh after God. When God arrests our attention we have to respond one way or the other. You can go, okay, God, I see it. Or you say, I don't want it. And you turn away from it. But he does. He has to do something. He did it with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't go looking for him, did they? 
They were running. They were hiding because now they know who they are. They're sinners. So God said, where are you? Oh, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we're naked. How would you know you were naked? You ate of that tree, didn't you? God went looking for them. God elected to save mankind. If he had not, no one would ever be saved. Jesus would not have died. No price for our sin would have been paid. We would be doomed forever. In his electing grace. And that's what it shows. Grace. God, why? You ever had anybody help you for no reason whatsoever? And you just say, why would you do that? And it's just by grace. They just want to. That's what God is. He just loves us that much. It functions to ensure that certain, a certainty of spiritual fruitfulness. God wants us to grow up spiritually. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. That's what this is. This whole plan Paul is talking about. He says that you would grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge. That you would do the right thing. How to be constant exhortations to believe and obey the functions in the Scripture. Obey. You know, you remember Saul and David, right? Saul and Samson. I mean, Saul and, uh, uh, oh, good night. Uh, what was his name? Samuel. <laughs> you know, Saul outgrew his spirituality pretty quick. He looked pretty good on the start, and then he got to thinking more of himself and didn't really care about what God said. Remember, God told him, when you go down there, kill them all. Don't bring anything back. Kill everybody down there because I know what they're going to do to you, and God does that. He says, you know, when he says, Terry, you need to stay away from those people because I know what they're going to influence you. Don't, you can't handle that. He knows what he's trying to protect me, you know. When you're a recovering alcoholic, you don't hang around with alcoholics. 20 years down the road, you might be able to. Don't fool yourself. If you've been dry for a year, don't think you're ready for that. You're probably not, okay? And then Saul goes down there and lying. How many lies did he tell? Oh, we did what you said. Samuel heard sheep bleating in the background. What is that? Well, we're going to give that to the church. That's what he said. Oh, we're going to, well, well, God said destroy it all. And did you remember what Saul does next? He's moved from, and to start with, he was okay. And then he cared more about what people thought. Because there in the end, he said, well, at least, you know, Samuel confronts him. He said, um, you know, you're done. He says, well, still, go with me down here and make sure everybody's still understand keep me in high regard of the elders he want to put on a show he don't care that it's sin he hasn't repented he don't care about he just wants everybody to think he's doing a good job that's what a lot of church is about in our country people just want everybody to think they're okay when they're not and you know what Samuel said he said he turned his back on him and said you're done <laughs> you stick a fork in you you're done brother why we get to where we care more about what everybody else thinks than really what God thinks. You know, that's, that's a serious problem in church still. You know, we just want everybody to think that it's okay. When, when you're praying, he says, Paul is praying that our life would be changed. It's always God's will that you grow up spiritually. You don't ever need to be in the same place next year that you are now. You should always gain some kind of ground, right? So whenever you're praying, God, help me not be where I am next week, where I am now. Boy, that's a good prayer. 
You say, well, isn't that infringing on God's sovereignty? God's sovereignty wants you to grow up. You know, when you understand God's will in these things, that's why you go to the Scripture and you'll see what is God's desire, and you pray to that end. This is what God wants. You're praying God's will. You better believe He's going to be listening. He's going to do something. Jesus said, seek, knock, what? Pursue it. You know, and, and man, we're not even close to being done, and we got to quit. How about that? There's a lot of notes in there. The repeated truth of God's sovereignty and providence never serves to authorize your irresponsibility. You should be praying if you care about something. You say, well, I don't really know what, how that works out. You don't have to know. You know God's sovereign. You know this much about what God wants. You pray to that end. You pray that God can use you to that end. God, help me. Help me. What do they pray? Help me in my unbelief. I'm having a problem here, God. Help me out. Pray to that end. It never allows me to be morally indifferent on the ground that, well, what I can't, I can't do anything anyway. So I'm just going to, God, you know how to, why should I even pray anyway? You're in control, right? <laughs> they tell the story of Eddie Riddenbacher. You know, the uh, ace. They were shot down. I mean, actually, they weren't. he was not shot down that time. What happened was they took off a second time, and the uh, navigation equipment was uh, messed up in the takeoff, and they didn't know it. So when they dropped down out of the heavens to land on the island, there was no island because the farther you fly out and your navigation is off, the farther you are off course. So they were 300 miles from where they should have been, so they had to ditch the plane in the ocean, and they floated around out there. If you've never read the story, read it. It's a great, true story. How several guys out there floating around in the ocean with nothing, knowing they're about to starve to death, nothing to drink, every, every, everything's going wrong. And they're just sitting there, and, and all of a sudden, he feels a seagull land on his hat. So he, he was able to grab it. And you tell the story how they use every part of it to catch fish, and they survived. And out of gratitude, after he was uh, old, old in age, they would see him walking up and down the beach in Florida with a, a big bucket full of shrimp, and he was throwing them out there to the seagulls. Just out of gratitude. The, their lives had been saved by the sacrifice of one of them. Somebody throwing sand dollars in the ocean. Well, you can't save them all, but I can save that one. You know, when we start praying, God, how, how do you want to do this? It's not like, well, I can't do anything anyway. You can do something. Pray that God can use you to do something. Not what Paul is talking about. We just say, well, God's in control. I'm not going to worry about it. That's irresponsible. God says you're responsible. I gave you that responsibility. And I want you to be involved in this thing, even though it's a mystery and you don't really know how. I want you to be part of it. How does this function in passages of Scripture? Where are you talking about prayer? It's the same thing. That's what we've been talking about. It's complicated. <laughs> it never functions as a dissent. He always wants, he's trying to encourage us to pray. Always. He never says, don't pray. He's constantly saying, ask the Father. Do this. Do this. You know, Jesus tells him, don't be like those babbling idiots over there, though. You know, just mouthing some words over and over. I'll tell you how that works, right? <laughs> Used to when we were in certain situations where it was traditional that you call on somebody to pray. 
We don't do it that way. I'm not against them, but, you know, you'd have somebody that would pray to start with, and then somebody would pray during the offering, and then somebody would pray at the end. And it wasn't always a preacher. And you call on somebody to pray at the offering, and, and they just say the blessing. They just pulled out the wrong cassette tape and stuck it in the tape player. They ain't even thinking about what they're doing. So he's asked the blessing, and we're talking about praying for the offering. That's what Jesus is talking about. You're just babbling. You're not even thinking about anything what's going on. He said, no, don't do that. But in chapter 11 and chapter 18 of Luke, he says, oh, no, you continue to pray as somebody who's hungry as keeps going to the door and asking for help. The incentive is we are responsible, and God wants us to be involved in it, even though he's still sovereign. He said, well, I don't understand. I don't either. <laughs> that's the mysterious thing about it. But he says, that's what we need to do. And his will is affected by that. That's what we saw in those, one of the cases with Moses, and those, there's like 40 or so more of them. Jesus said, don't be like them. Let's go to the end real quick. He gives us several things here that we need to think about in these verses, chapter uh, 7, verse 7 and, and following, where he basically gives you a guideline as to what you can, uh, how, how can be a, a practical way that might help you if you want to pray, all right, or if you want to be maybe better at it. Where is the end? Good night. Is there an end? It's like taxes. There is no end. <laughs> right? It's like a crazy government. There is no end. There's always one to rise up. It's like, what was that in, uh, you cut off the head and two of them come out. And what, was, what was that movie? No, don't go there. I'm sorry. That's pagan stuff. He encourages us to pray. What does he say? He invites us. Seek. Knock. What was the other one? Ask. Absolutely. He says, this is what you need to do. There's different elements. How you seek it. How you ask. How you knock. Different elements of the same thing. That's what he says. Do that. He makes a promise. If we pray, I'm going to answer it some kind of way. A promise. He said, what? It will be given to you some kind of way. Just be careful what you ask for. Because sometimes it does not come nearly in the way that you want it. All right? You know some situations like that, don't you? He makes himself available in different levels. Seek, ask, not. Not just one way. All kind of ways. What does he do? <laughs> Everyone who asks receives. That's a pretty good incentive to pray. If you pray in the right way. You know, you start praying for a wife or a spouse, be careful who you ask for. You know, sometimes you ask, it, I, I shouldn't say it this way, but I have before. My husband said, well, my goodness, you knew what it was when you married him. What, 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 you know, you might want to examine yourself. <laughs> you know, like and like or whatever, how that works out. That went over pretty well, though, in spite of that. We're coming to our father. He says, you're a father. Do you know, for us to be able to call him father, it means Jesus had to die on the cross to pay the price for us to be adopted by God, that he would call us his children and we could call him his father. Boy, there's a whole world of sacrificial stuff going on when you start talking about praying. Our father. I don't care how bad your father was on this earth. Don't ever try to relate that to God is that way in heaven. No. Not on the same universe, okay? The best father that could ever have walked this earth is not even a fraction of what God the Father is. 
A lot of people say that. Well, if he's like me, he's not like your father. As good as your father might have been or bad as your father was, it's not the same. Don't mess that one up because that is not true whatsoever. What does he say? Our heavenly father is better than our earthly father. The best father on earth would look out for his kids. and He said, your heavenly father is going to be eons beyond that. He said, ask, seek, knock. God's going to answer. And this is the good thing, the last one. He's only going to give you what is good for you. Well, God sent me a bad wife. No, he didn't. That was your foolishness. He sent me a bad husband. Nope, that was your hand. God only gives, what does he say? Good things. God knows what you need. Just take the time to let him do that. It's a mystery, but God has allowed us somehow in his whole purpose, in his control, that through our praying, somehow his purposes are, they come to fruition. Boy, that's a privilege. We should exercise it. Let's pray. Lord, it's just beyond our comprehension how all this works, but you told us to pray. You asked us to plead with you. Father, help us examine your word so we know what your will is in so many instances so we can pray that your will would be done and then we can depend on you answering in a good way. Father, help us, help us take the time to know what your word says. Help us slow down. Help us turn off stuff. Help us get quiet so we can understand what it is that you have a desire for us in our life. We know it will be good. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.